Welcome to the media ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor Steve Woodrow. And I'm excited, folks, if you've um, journeyed with us this summer, we're in a series of lessons from the Kings. We've been looking at 1st, 2nd Samuel, Kings, and then Chronicles, um, just journeying through these, this history of Israel and its kings, uh, and, and just pulling two or three lessons every week um, to hold on to. This personally has been an awesome journey for me. There is nothing, we're going to look at King Solomon this morning, there's nothing new under the sun. Uh, these are lessons, history repeats itself, and these are lessons universal that we should hold on to and we'd learn from. And as the church goes, the nation goes. As God's people goes, the nation goes. And I'll leave that with you. We'll look a little deeper into that kind of big idea. Um, but I hope you'll engage. Um, our weekly email that goes out, I have all the sermon manuscripts out there with all the extra notes because I'm throwing a lot at you here. And I'm just kind of on Sunday morning taking a cursory view through these um, two or three lessons. We have three this morning. Um, but let me tell you, King Solomon, folks, we could be all, we could do a whole series just on King Solomon alone. Um, what his life he lived, the tragedy, the blessing, but also the tragedy, right, of his ending. There's so much there. In his own words, nothing new under the sun. We should learn, right, from this. So, with that said, we're going to be in 1 Kings starting in chapter 2. Um, if you have your Bibles, I hope so. There's a Bible underneath the seat in front of you. I encourage you to embrace a paper Bible in this electronic age. Um, so, uh, yes, I'm a little legalistic about that. Yes, um, there's some power in the not having the distraction of uh, the electronics. So, um, just a little side note. Father, thank you for this morning, and Lord, for our opportunity to come to worship you, Lord. Um, it always lifts my soul, Lord, so much to just be with your people, lifting up your voice, Lord, um, getting our eyes off this world and, and everything else, Lord, and getting them on you, Lord, the, the one and Lord, who's loved our soul and sent your son after us. Lord, expand our hearts this morning. And Lord, um, for those listening or those here that are unsure where they're at with you, or Lord, they just need a touch, they're, they haven't experienced your voice, your love, they're unsure of their salvation, unsure of who they are before you, God, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just come with a demonstration of your power this morning. Move us, Lord. Crack below, Lord, the hard around our hearts, Lord. Transform us, Lord. Let your word come to us as the living word. Transform our souls, Lord. Engage us, Lord. Our entire being, Lord. Our mind, our emotions, our will. Our entire being with you this morning, God. We love you, Jesus. Speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Um, <clears throat> let me just start by throwing out a big question. Um, we're going to look at this idea of King Solomon, how are we seeking a higher standard of living? Um, I ask you, who set the standard of living for you? What is your standard of living? Is there a standard of living that you are setting your, your, your eyes upon, that you're living towards, working towards? Um, who has formed your standard of living of what you're going for? Um, King Solomon, 
more than any other can speak to us wisdom on this issue. And, and so I, I want to take this question and just bring it down a little bit and just try to reframe it in the sense that um, our standard living is not high enough. Jesus calls us to an abundant life. He calls us to a life lived by the power of the Spirit of God inside us. And unfortunately, more of the world, and even when I say this, immediately most of us, we think standard of living, we think socioeconomic. We think, right, my money, my, you know, what I have, my houses, what I expect, and those kind of, and that's part of it. But that is, that is nothing of it, ultimately. And what I want to try to reframe us this morning is to reframe our hearts and minds on a, a standard of living that God has for us, that he's calling us to, uh, there's much deeper, much more fulfilling. It's eternal, actually. And the question for the church and for those who claim the name Jesus today is, the, is this question of what is my standard of living? What am I really focused on? Am I spending more time on just my spreadsheets and my, my resources? Or am I really spending time on the standard of living of my life, my character? The fruit of the Spirit relationships, eternal impact, eternal fruit. Um, And again, I just ask you, who's setting the bar for you? Who is defining your standard of living? That has your mind, right, formed and kind of your goals set. And again, we just peel back the cover like, what are my goals? What are the things that consumes me in life? What do I worry about? What am I passionate about? What am I just in anguish about? excited about and so I want to use King Solomon um, this morning his life his story to hopefully stir our souls and put us on a course of a higher standard of living something that God calls us to far beyond what the world calls us to the tragedy is for most of us for most of our lives is our standard of living has been set more by the world and if you're a young person here or you're listening is, and you're, all of us, any social media, anything in the media age is constantly pushing a standard of life and experience and expectation that is of the world. It's fleeting, and as we'll see from King Solomon, who had it all. And he says it's vanity. It's vanity. Life under the sun. Without the fear of God, without the joy of God, without God setting the standard of living in our lives, life is meaningless. And it leads itself to destruction. And again, sadly, Solomon is our example here um, of that. All right, let's dive in. Word of God, 1 Kings chapter 2. David has come to the end of his reign and Solomon is his son who's now entered uh, into taking the throne from David and Solomon's now the one who's going to get to build the temple. Because, this is very important, because of David's faithfulness, because of David's blessing, the favor that David had with God, that was passed down. Solomon not only inherited the kingdom, And everything anybody could ever imagine. But Solomon also, even more so, experienced the favor of God. Because it wasn't Solomon, we're going to look at this, who nurtured a heart after God. It was Solomon who received that. Because of the faithfulness 
of his father, David, who did nurture a heart after God. Um, And so we step in. Here's David's final words. And dads, this is just beautiful. Chapter 2, when David's time to die drew near, he commanded Solomon his son, saying, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Son, be strong. Show yourself a man. Um, I'm going to read that again. Son, show yourself to be a man. We need that today in a big way. Keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways, keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies, as is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, if your son, if your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. That's a promise God gave to David. And David is passing this on to Solomon because of my faithfulness, because of God's favor, because of what he's done. Son, I'm handing you the kingdom. I'm handing you the favor of God. Please, son, above all else, let your standard of leaving be determined by the promises of of God, right? Let's move to chapter 3. Chapter 3, starting in verse 1. <clears throat> Didn't take long. Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter, brought her into the city of David until he had finished building his own house, the house of the Lord in the wall around Jerusalem. The people were sacrificing in the high places. However, because no house had yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father only. He sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. Not a fully devoted heart to God. Now flip on over to chapter 11. And again, let me just actually, let me take us on a quick course here. So you see Psalm, he comes into his kingdom and, and uh, obviously chapter 3, he begins by breaking the commandment of the Lord and right out of the chute to not marry outside of Israel. And he did it out of power and politics and just go down the list of things. Um, bringing Egypt into an alliance. Chapter 3 continues on. God comes to Solomon Again, because of the favor of David and offers him this incredible, ask me what you want. Unbelievable. And of course, you know the story and I'd encourage you to go back and read this and Solomon asked for wisdom. Solomon was the smartest, the wisest man to ever walk on the face of the earth. And it goes on and talks about his wisdom and how the world and kings would flock to him just to hear this amazing man. And you can read about this in the rest of 1 Kings. Um, He goes on to build the temple in the next few chapters, builds his palace, talks about the the temple, the Ark of the Covenant coming in, which we've looked at, the presence of God now in the temple. Everything is going right. Prosperity at its highest levels. There was peace in the land. Um, The Philistines had been put at bay. Uh, The people were prospering. Um, It was a golden age. Um, 
And the Lord appears again in chapter 9 to Solomon. And again calls him to this covenant with him. In chapter 10, you have the famous story of the Queen of Sheba. This is one picture of traveling from Africa to come and see this incredible empire. And, and if you read the description of his wealth and of the palace and everything that he had, that his wisdom of biology and just going on the list of things, um, it was pretty uh, supernatural, let's say, right? In chapter 10, it goes on to talk about his wealth and uh, it's uh, beyond imagine. Again, if you, people have taken modern economics and, and what would this look like today and, and it, there's just nothing that, that compares. But let's come to chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women. Seems to be a theme. Along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidon, Sidonian, and Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart from their, surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses. He had 300 concubines. His wives turned away his heart. And when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashton. Now listen, this is where it gets absolutely shocking um, to how far Solomon went. Solomon went after the Ashtra and the goddess of the Sidonians because these are written in the Old Testament as abominations, disgusting practices. Milcon, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. And then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And he did for all of his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrifice to their gods. Folks, just a little historical insight. Moloch is the god as well as Chemosh is they brought their babies and sacrificed them on the altar. That's how bad this got. Um, how could a man who had a father who gave him everything, had all the wisdom, God who came to him with an experience and, and offered him all the wisdom in the world. How with all the wisdom and all the wealth in the world, all the power in the world, how could a man like that end up like this? And if we read further in chapter 11, obviously the Lord was angry with Solomon because the heart, his heart had turned away from the Lord who had appeared to him twice, we're responsible for the revelations we have. We're responsible for the testimonies we have. We're responsible for what God has done in our life. We're responsible for the testimonies that we have of what God has done. And, um, and it goes on just to talk about uh, Solomon, you, you, listen, I made a promise to your father. Because of that, I will not bring destruction in your lifetime, but your son is the kingdom is going to be torn from you. And we'll get to this in the next weeks or so. The kingdom splits uh, from here on out. And uh, the fall of the kingdom is now rapidly uh, moving towards exile. All right, three lessons. And folks, there's just <laughs> there's so much here. Uh, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. 
when the way of the world comes, right, and it's hard to fight it off. Um, the same lies, there's nothing new under the sun, the same temptations are out there. Um, Solomon went after it, and, 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 and we're going to dive into his other, we're going to merge Proverbs and the Ecclesiastes as well as the Song of Solomon. Um, it's debatable about um, some of those, if he wrote them or not, but for sure, he was, it's a part of his council that wrote this, and most likely I think he did. And just to see this man of wisdom, how, how, how did it come get to this, this point, and what can we learn about a standard of living? First lesson, and this is lesson number 10 in this series. And again, here's some uh, just verses for you to dive in. We'll look at a couple of these um, this morning. But folks, here's the first lesson. Wealth and comfort work against dependence upon God and deep faith development. Whoa. First of all, every single one of us in here is wealthy. Every one of us in here is comfortable in the scheme of the world, right? And so this isn't, oh, well, I'm not wealthy. <laughs> or I'm not comfortable. Yeah, no, we are. Um, this is a universal principle, folks, that we, um, we don't take serious uh, enough, right? That everything, wealth, physical wealth, and just being comfortable, they have a force. Is there anything wrong with wealth? Possessions? No, they can be a blessing. But oh, the stewardship, that those don't start driving us Right? And what those start determining my standard of living versus the things of God. And comfort. Wealth moves us in, right to a place of comfort. And both of those together are enemies of dependence on God. Because let's just face it, the more I have, more resource I have, guess what? I don't really need God. And matter of fact, I don't need you. Right? I don't. And this is how people live. This is how the isolation. So here's the other universal thing to think about is wealth always isolates. Always. The more wealth, the more stuff I have. The more power, the more prestige, just whatever it is, bring it on, right? Um, the more I have, it's work in my life is to isolate me because this is the enemy, this is the world. It's a war going on. He wants to isolate my soul it always has a force of pushing me to isolate, hole up, and to start feeling more dependent on my stuff, right? Which has this reverse thing we're going to see of fear of losing stuff, right? Versus depending on God. Um, it's universal throughout, right? The scripture. Money and wealth is nothing bad. Again, I say it's a, it's a blessing we see, but the love of it is evil. And how do I go from stewarding something to loving it? We see Solomon. He went from seeing from the hand of God to not only loving it, but that love was corrupt and it moved into his relationships, right? In power and everything else with his view of, of his wives, right? And it, uh, his power, right, moved him to come into an alliance, right? To break God's command out of power and uh, protecting his kingdom and expanding his kingdom. Um, so here's something to think about. What is the difference between David and Solomon? Now just think about it. How was David the man after God's own heart? 
And look what happened to Solomon. And if you look at these two things, there's some incredible wisdom that we can find in the sense of some wonderful parenting wisdom, but also just wisdom for our own lives. A couple things. How did David grow up? Shepherd. Was he valued by his father or brothers? Was he helped at all? He was left in the fields to do the most remedial job. From early on, as we can see, he was working his tail off. And he had to depend on who? God. What does he say? When he's talking about before Goliath, right? Is man, when a lion or a bear came to take one of these sheep, man, I grabbed that sucker by the beard and kicked his butt, right? Now, how did Solomon grow up? Silver spoon, palace, silky pajamas. Now, this is not a universal thing. I'm just saying something we need to think about. And we could go down the line with all of that, right? Is that in David's upbringing, there was, he was put into position of not comfortable. He wasn't valued. Solomon from day one as a child... You are the new king. You are the blood. You are the ch- you are the golden boy. You this whole thing is yours. Right? David, none of that. David's king was God. And David had to lean on and learn at an early age. This is really important, folks, to own his faith. To go deep with God. And so I just throw that out as something that we need to think about, right? In this age of, of parenting and discipleship, and even in our own lives, right, is, men, is there in my own life, what is, where is the thing where I have to really depend on the Lord and learn, right, to see a faith development in me of trusting in God and whatever comes my way and hold it loosely rather than hold on tight, right, to that. Um, and so, folks, if you doubt that um, principle there, which um, let's just see what Jesus has to say, and we do not take Jesus' words at face value like we should. Couldn't be any clearer. Do this as Sermon on the Mount. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust dre- destroy and where thieves break. It's funny reading this in Aspen, Colorado, isn't it? Let's just, be, let's just get real raw and real here, right? But, folks, this is where we got to go. We got to, each of us, all of it. This isn't pointing out, this, let me be real clear, this is not pointing out the wealthy. Not with, We are all wealthy. We all are comfortable. Yes. This is for all of us. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Jesus says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. You need to have a higher standard of living, he's saying. Why are you investing your time, your energy, and everything in, in building things that... They're going. Build for yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be, not the other way around. When most people quote this, they say, hey, where my heart is, is where my treasure is. No, no, no. Jesus makes it real practical. Wherever your treasure is, wherever you're spending your time, what you're most fearful about, what you're most holding on to, that's where your heart is. That's where your heart is. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Your eye 
What is my eyes set upon? The things of God? Or is my eye, the eye is the lamp of the body. So what I'm setting my eye on is setting the core of my body. If my eyes are laid upon, and here's the power of the world. The world is flashing silver, flashy things all the time, right? Is I need that, I need that, I need that. Man, whew, Lord, give me some vision. Give me spiritual revelation to have a higher style. I want more. I don't want to be deceived by the things that rust and moth and thieves Right or taking, and we see when Solomon, Solomon, he he had it all, and it just clouded his vision, and he sold out. No one can serve two masters. So here it is: for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will devoted to one and despise that. You cannot serve God and money. Can't do it. Whew. Man, that's tough stuff, right? How do you do that? And here's the deal: Jesus doesn't leave any waffle room. You either hate one and love the other. So the question is, am I hate, I'm to hate, in some sense, the wealth I have. I'm to hate it in the sense of to realize the power that stuff has, or whatever it is, to rob my heart of my real treasure. Does this make sense? Yes, amen. Nothing wrong with wealth. Don't get me wrong. Right? We've got to live and da-da-da and enjoy things. The world even says this in Ecclesiastes. But man, i got to make sure. I'm, I'm looking at that stuff. Ooh, right? That, that, can, that can mess me up. Right? And so folks, a higher standard of living is am I looking at material wealth with godly eyes? Lord, that's not going to do for me what I need. And it has a way of pulling me from you. Lord, save me from that. Right? You're my king. And I'm a steward over this. Just for a temporary period. And let me multiply those talents for you, God. Eternal fruit. Right? All right. Does that make sense? It's a big one. Woo! Man. And folks, let me just say, if you're just like, wow, man, this is tough. Well, you know, Let's engage. This is where discipleship comes in. This is where a coffee comes in. This is where we sit down and, man, let's talk about this because I'm struggling. And if any of us are not struggling with this, I want a coffee with you. <laughs> All right? So, as we sit in Aspen, Colorado, right? Let me just, let me just this, can we get honest? We're sitting, folks, in the top 1% in the world of comfort and luxury. The most affluent people to ever walk on the face of the earth. We are little Solomons. And we better get rocked a little bit. Nothing wrong with that. Lord, wow. Wow, thank you. But Lord, we should tremble with reverence. God, let this not do to me what it did to Solomon. Right? All right. Second thing. Lesson number 11 Wisdom and knowledge, even of God, leads to vexation. That's my new favorite word, right? It's the word for the day. Vexation means to be vexed, means to be confused, to be anxious, to be worried, right? Um, that's, we're just a vexed nation right now, right? Wisdom and knowledge, even of God, leads to vexation. And that's actually Solomon's words. We'll come to it in a minute. And purposelessness, without the spiritual formation of the fear and the joy of the Lord. So let's just march through some verses here. 
Ecclesiastes 5.1. This is Solomon's words, okay? Solomon at some point wrote Ecclesiastes, right? And, and, and did what most philosophers have never done, which is to truly just be raw before God. It's all meaningless to look at life under the sun and the reality of that and just to say it's meaningless, it's meaningless. And then we'll see multiple times through Ecclesiastes, he kind of comes to his senses and says, oh, you know, it's all just about just fear God, obey his commands. That's all we can say at the end of the story, right? But he says this. Now, folks, remember what we just read. What was the first thing that started moving Solomon aside? is he went to the high place. What are the high places? The high places are the places of, uh, of uh, sacrifice before the temple was set up. And the pagans, all the, throughout the, all cultures, you set, there's always the high place that's set up. You can actually go to the top of, uh, of uh, Aspen Highlands. It's a high place. There's a place over in Snowmass where there's a yin-yang. It's a high place. High places are set up, right, to be places of encounter with the gods. So why there are prayer flags up there. The same thing back here. The problem was that Solomon and the people were merging the two. They weren't holding the glory and the purity of God, the one and only God. And he writes this, guard your steps. When you go into the house of God to draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifices of fools. For they do not know that they are doing evil. What did Solomon, how did he end his life? Did he forget what he said? Did he forget what the word of God gave him as revelation? He was epitomizing that he didn't guard his steps and he went and he made sacrifices to some of the most horrendous gods on earth. And so what does this tell us? This goes back to this, this universal lesson from the kings is, folks, it doesn't matter how much knowledge you have. It doesn't matter how wise you are. It doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter how many uh, PhD alphabet letters are after your name. Without the fear of God, without the development of the joy of the Lord, without listening to the voice of developing a, a heart, a, a childlike heart that wants to hear God, you end in vexation. And purposelessness. Aspen Institute, Aspen, Colorado, heralds ourselves as these mind, body, spirit, brilliant. It's vexation. It's vexation. You have all this knowledge, but what's the purpose? They can't tell you where it's going. And just look how people's lives end. Right? Um, let me just, I hope that makes sense. <laughs> Right? Now, what does that mean for us in the church? When it comes to just to Bible knowledge versus having, having not developing an ear and a spirit that listens to the Spirit of God, hears His voice. Jesus says, My sheep, they hear my voice. I know them. It's not, Jesus doesn't say, My sheep who know all about the Bible and know uh, everything. So, um, oh, we have a lost one here running amongst us here. <laughs> That's awesome. So, even for us folks, 
man, I, I, what a lesson. And folks, I, as someone who leans towards just loving kind of intellectual stuff, this is a challenge. My like, gosh, am, am I feeling like I'm growing with God just because I know more or I can explain more of the Bible or I can put theology together more? Or with that is, man, am I, I'm hearing your voice, God. I know your spirit's leading me, God, right? And when I come into the house of God, I come with, with fear, reverence for you, God, and wanting you to bolster my joy. Right. A couple other things. Ecclesiastes 1.18, For in much wisdom is much vexation. There's that word. And he who increases in knowledge increases in sorrow. That's Solomon's words. Wow. So folks, just increasing your knowledge without increasing your walk with God moves you into a really rough place. And is this not lived out with scientists and smart people throughout the world? Have you ever met a happy scientist? I'm just saying. Have you ever met a happy person of great intellect? Now, they're out there, there's exceptions, but in general. Because you... you, you and folks, we get in the same thing. I got to figure this out. I got to fit in brain and I'm going, but where's the joy of the Lord? Where's the peace of God? Where's the, and folks, we do the same thing in the church. We gain all this biblical knowledge, right? And, and, and we get, we wonder why we move into spiritual depression. We wonder why we lose passion and zeal for God. And we wonder why we move into those dark places. It's because we haven't listened. We haven't developed the deeper relational aspect of hearing his voice, and moving into the fruit of the Spirit, the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord. Right? In Solomon, we see this over and over. He lost the joy of the He lost the joy of the one who not only spoke to him, but who showed up with a, a fire in the temple, the presence of God Himself. That makes sense, folks. Um, Proverbs 1 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And again, I think I talked about this last week. Where's the fear of the God? Where's the fear of the Lord today? Where's a, where's a desperation to be right with God? Where's an understanding of the holiness of God? How can I how can I live like David and Solomon wrestle with? How can I be in the presence of God in the holy temple? Where's that today? It's cheap grace. It's a weak theology. It's because we are building ourselves up because we have all this knowledge. But is it really deep personal knowledge of the voice of God? Where's the joy of the Lord today? My gosh, what he's done for us. If you're here and you're, and you're, and you're like, man, I want nothing to do with that Solomon guy, right? You know, and you're asking about Jesus. Says, Let me just stop and say the most glorious thing in all the world is the fulfillment. These lessons are building towards answering the question. The main answer for all these questions is the gospel of what the Father did, right? In sending his son for us. That we, all of us, we don't have to go through a prophet, priest, king, anything else. The veil's been torn by what Jesus has done. Every one of you, every one of us has access to the living God. To talk to him, to hear him. He wants you to draw near so he can draw near to you. He wants to pour out upon you abundant life. A standard of living that you can't even conceive of. Uh, Ephesians 3.20 Now to him is able to do far exceeding beyond what we could ever ask or imagine according to the spirit that's in you. 
That's what God wants to do. That's the standard of living we should be going for. Let that drive us, right? The fear of the Lord. Folks, how are you, how are you developing the fear of God in your life? <clears throat> There's been times, and I'm telling you the times where God had to slap me around. Um, before any movement, before any true repentance, not therapeutic repentance that's so vogue today in the church, is there is no real repentance outside a radical confrontation with the living God, fear. He's a consuming fire. Oh God, how am I going to be saved? How am I going to, right, be forgiven? I repent. And embrace the glory of the gospel that he washes us. Does for us what we don't deserve. But I don't lay hold of the glory of that gospel unless I first come to realize a fear, a reverence before God who is perfect and holy and somehow he, he loves me in the midst of all that. Wow, and this is what Paul said is that I'm striving hard that I may know you guys sharing your sufferings, right? And walk in your ways and that I may somehow attain the resurrection of death. That I may somehow, he says in the same, uh, in Philippians he says, work out your salvation people with what? Fear and trembling. Where is that today? Where is the fear and trembling in discipleship? Where is the fear and trembling, right, in walking with God today? It's all this mushy, therapeutic junk that is going to send people straight to hell. Just saying it as clear as I can. And here it is, the end of all things, Ecclesiastes. The end of the matter, Psalm says, and all has been heard. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment and every secret thing, whether good or evil. Man. Solomon. What a lesson for us. Don't do what he did. Last lesson. Oh, oh here. Again, what is, Jesus couldn't be any clearer, right? For what profit does it a person if he gains the whole world not just material wealth, but like Solomon. I have to believe that Jesus and Paul, when they're writing some of the things in the New Testament, they're thinking of Solomon. What good Solomon does it do? If you gain all the power, all the wealth, all the wives, and all the wisdom and knowledge that is available to us, but you forfeit your soul. You've sold out to a standard of living that is robbing you of life. It cannot give it to you. Right? What shall a man give in return for his soul? Can't buy it. All right, last lesson. Lesson 12. Stepping outside God's sacred and created order for marriage and sex numbs hearts to God, fractures families and nations, and leads to all kinds of abominations. All right, we're going to go a little deeper. This is going to get a little touchy. Um, you know, and, and let me just say right out of the shoot is we're not talking right now about what's going on in our culture. I want to reframe things. We're talking about what's going on in the church, okay? And probably the reason why things are going on <clears throat> in the culture is because the church in America has not, we've gone the way of Solomon. So a couple things, and I have all the verses up here. Um, first of all, is Solomon shares 
in doing the same thing that Adam did. Adam was given really clear instruction. Do not eat of that tree. I've given you everything to enjoy. The blessings of all creation, but don't touch that tree. Obey my commandments. And therefore, you're to teach and protect Eve from it. And what happened? The opposite happened. Eve influenced the other way, Adam. What happened with Solomon? Not only did he break the command, we'll come to that in a minute, he didn't protect his wives. Now, um, and we'll, we'll touch it in here in just a minute, but let me just say this. Do you think those thousand ladies felt loved or unique or special? Some might say, man, we were in the palace. One of a thousand. You think that was, anybody felt real special about that? Well, if you have a heart of the world, you got all the best clothes, you got all the best servants, and you might get a night with the king. I'm not sure how he, that all worked, but a thousand, I mean, you know, I don't know, somewhere maybe. Uh, and so Solomon, instead, what he did was he saw his wives as possessions, avenues of power and success. And he loved them, it says, but it's interesting, the Hebrew word that uses for that love is a unique word. And obviously his love was corrupted. And um, he allowed his wives towards the end and his love of his wives, his possessions, to lead his heart from the one true God to an end that couldn't be any worse. I mean, just to be as graphic as I can, to honor his wives, he participated in going to the high places where you brought babies and you openly slaughtered them. And I don't need to make the connection to what we're dealing with today in our culture, okay? I think you can make that connection. The other thing here, um, when we step outside this, is it says clearly in chapter 11, as we read, is that, is that Solomon broke the clear command of God's people, don't marry outside. Don't be unequally yoked. And that is 2 Corinthians 6. Let's bring it back home. Not only that the first part of this is honoring God's sacred created order for marriage. It is, this is a full on battle folks. The church today is adopting the cultural lie of the world. And it's creeping, it's crashing in to the church. And, and this is not some cultural thing. This is a clear disobedience from the very clear word of God. Of what his order is and what should happen when it comes to man and wife and how their roles work together in marriage, in life, in church, right? It is razor consistent from the Genesis all the way through uh, to Timothy to mess with this. We open ourselves to the consequences that we see fall out. All, it's all there. It's nothing new under the sun when we go against God's design. And he says, do not marry outside. And the New Testament says, clearly, do not be unequally yoked. And he, Paul goes through a whole list of things. I have to believe he was thinking about Solomon. Right? Is that there's no fellowship, two hearts. If one has the Holy Spirit and doesn't, these are not to come together in union of marriage. And the church has flirted with this with cheap grace. And, and what has happened, we let love, like Solomon, 
our love, our fleshly love, corrupt the command of God. I'm just being clear with you, right? Because all I'm saying is you cannot find anywhere in history, anywhere in the scripture where this is not clear from God, right? Don't be unequally yoked. Young people, don't buy the lie. When it comes to your dating life and everything else, if you want to honor God, you stay yoked, you stay set upon the person who the most important thing is that you all have a kindred spirit. That's what's important, okay? Is it the grace of God? Of course. Of course there is. There's always the grace. We move into repentance, right? To help us pick up our pieces, right? The other piece of this is... um, well, again, these are just the verses. Clung to his wives in love, self-possessive. Marry only in the Lord, First, Second Corinthians um, 6. Don't be unequally yoked. And First Corinthians 7, remarry only in the Lord. It can't be any clearer from that, to break that. Um, and I'll maybe go deeper. Is to be, don't be unequally yoked where one is ah, sort of Christian and not. Unequally yoked means to be kindred in your spirit for the Lord. Okay. And I know, I know, I know, you know, where are they? Why, you know, I know the weight, I know the struggle. The question comes down to is, am, am I more committed to a higher standard of living to obey God's word and his command versus my own desires? That's what it comes down to for all of us, right? All right, final thing. Um, there's a lot of discussion about the Song of Solomon. I, I believe it's Solomon who wrote this. If not, it's clearly his story. And the whole book, little, the rabbis would not even let young uh, students read it because it's so sensual. And by the way, it's supposed to be sensual. And yes, by the way, that language is talking about body parts, just to clear that. You're like, that's in the Bible? Yes, it is, because God created sex, but he created with purpose and protection. And when it gets messed up, and the marriage gets messed up, it has an impact. It destroys families. It destroys societies. It destroys nations. That's the story of the world. That's the story of Israel. That's the story of Rome. That's our story here in America right now. You cannot stand as a nation if you choose to reject God's clear definition of marriage and family. You will reap the harsh wrath of God. Which, Romans 1, we're in it. We're in it. Okay? It's a side note. We'll come back to that at another time in this series. But listen to this. So Solomon, this story is about a, a beautiful love story. So down deep inside, again, I'm, I would love to know, when did he write this? Like after how many wives did he write this? But inside Solomon, he understands we're built to love one. We're built to do what God originally did in in Genesis. One man, one woman for life in covenant before God. Becoming, learning to become one. That Jesus affirms and that the rest of the New Testament affirms. Because you can't have that with with two, three, four. Right? And so Psalm writes this, I jure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is strong as death. Jealousy is as fear as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire. The very flame of God, of the Lord. 
You can't say that to a thousand wives. You can only say and mean it with one. And this is the, the story here. This is the restoration. And Paul, so Solomon's love got corrupted. And what this is saying, and through, it just comes back over and over in this beautiful psalm, is don't awaken love until it's time. Don't awaken passionate love until it's time. If you move sex outside the bounds of marriage, it will only corrupt the soul. And the corruption of that soul will move to corrupt a family, to corrupt a society, to corrupt and expand and move. As back to our lesson, this lesson says, and lead to all kinds of abominations. That's the story of the kings. That's the story of the world. You cannot argue against it. Why don't we learn from that? Why don't we embrace that? Now folks, here is what I believe the season we're getting ready to enter into is the church, we're not going to be able to receive people coming out of, of a culture that has, has lived with fracturing of relationship and intimacy and everything else unless we get this right. And unless we lean into the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, the healing, the deliverance of God, the breaking of soul ties, the, the renewal of the body, the fullness when we've stepped outside. is God is there to redeem. The church is to be a place of healing, of, of renewal, of strengthening, right? Of strengthening the brokenness of families and people's lives who are shattered in terrible relationships, on and on and on, and abuse and everything else. So we can receive, so we can minister to the broken. But we're not going to have a voice into their lives until we stand on the word of God and what he says right here. If we ourselves step outside the sacredness of God's created order for marriage. Does that make sense? It's a lot of stuff. Um, I just ask you if, and, and just encourage you, um, y'all come on up. Um, that's a lot. There is a, a loving God who has a higher standard of living for you. He just needs you to come to him with your whole being. And he will wash you. He will cleanse you. He will renew you. He will bring joy right into the midst of all three of these battles that we all struggle with, right? And the church is here to right, stand firmly in the word. Truth in love. Here's the truth. Now, by the love of God, let's move towards, let's take this truth and let's see the power of God redeem and change and radically transform lives as glorious testimonies for God. Does that make sense? So Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your word. And um, Father, may you, Holy Spirit, just come. Speak to us. Before we come to your table, convict us, renew us, Lord, let us go for that higher standard of living. Be gracious to us. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this message. To hear other messages or learn more about Crossroads Church, visit our website at ccaspen.com.